Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we asked the question, what makes Christianity different from all other major world religions? We saw that what makes Christianity different is that Jesus is the only founder of a major world religion to claim to be God. We then brought up the arguments made by Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses and others that claim that Jesus never claimed to be God and that the Bible does not teach the deity of Christ. I pointed out that Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses argue that Christians deified Christ hundreds of years after his death. To address these claims, we looked at what Jesus said and taught and concluded that Jesus did in fact claim to be God. In today's episode, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the reaction of the Jews, as well as who the disciples and the apostles thought that Jesus was. So, now I want to look at the reaction of the religious leaders to see what they understood Jesus to be saying. Did they think that Jesus was claiming to be God? Let's see. In Mark's Gospel, Mark records the interaction between the Jewish council and Jesus when Jesus was brought before them on trial. In Mark chapter 14, verses 61 to 64, pay attention to the reaction of the Jewish leaders. In verse 61, it says, Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Once again, Jesus is saying something that might seem strange to anyone unfamiliar with the Scripture. But the Jews sure understood the significance of what Jesus was saying. When Jesus responds by saying that you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven, he's referring back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, where Daniel says that this Son of Man, who will come with the clouds of heaven, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus was making a clear claim to deity, and you can tell based on the reaction of the Jews that they understood this claim. There are many other examples that I could give of the reaction of the Jewish leaders. But the last one I want us to look at comes from John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33, which we looked at in our previous episode. In verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. In verse 31, it says, Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? In verse 33, Pay attention to what the Jews say their reason is for wanting to stone and kill Jesus. In verse 33, it says, We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. 
It was clear to the Jewish leaders that Jesus was claiming to be God. And it was because Jesus was claiming to be God that they wanted to kill him. In our last episode, we looked at what Jesus said and taught. And so far in this episode, we've seen the reaction of the Jews. Now let's look at the disciples and apostles to see who they thought Jesus was. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, Jesus asks his disciples who they thought he was. Pay attention to Peter's response to Jesus' question in verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. After Jesus rose from the dead, there was a lot of confusion and doubt. In fact, Thomas, one of Jesus' twelve disciples, had heard rumors that Jesus had risen from the dead and said that he wouldn't believe the rumors unless he saw the risen Jesus with his own eyes. Jesus does appear to Thomas, and this interaction is recorded in John chapter 20, verses 27 to 28, where John says, Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Pay attention to Thomas's reaction in verse 27. As a result of coming face to face with the risen Lord, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. John opens up his gospel by proclaiming who Jesus is. He writes in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then in verse 14, John writes that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In other words, the word was God, as we see in verses 1 through 3, and verse 14 tells us that God became flesh, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've just looked at the reactions of several of Jesus' disciples to see who they thought Jesus was. Let's look at one last person to see who he thought Jesus was. This person is the Apostle Paul. The significance of this person was that he went from being Saul, a zealous persecutor and murderer of Christians, to becoming the author of most of the Christian New Testament books. So what happened to this man that would cause such an amazing transformation? The answer is, he encountered the risen Lord on his way to arrest Christians. As interesting as this is, it doesn't show us what Paul's understanding of Jesus was. So, who was Jesus according to Paul? Thanks to the many letters that Paul wrote to the early church, we know exactly how Paul viewed Jesus. For example, in his letter to the Colossians, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
If this isn't clear enough that Paul understood Jesus to be God, here's what he wrote to the Philippian church. He said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What I think is amazing is that scholars date the book of Colossians and Philippians to around 60 to 62 AD, which is less than 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Something even more amazing is that verses 5 through 11 in Philippians chapter 2 that I just read, Paul is citing a Christian hymn. This fact is lost in English translations. However, in the Greek, these verses reveal poetic stanzas in a, in a linguistic style that clearly points to a hymn that Paul is quoting. Scholars haven't been able to determine the date for the hymn, but the fact is this hymn was popular enough to be circulating throughout the church and to be included in Paul's letter to the Philippians shows that the church worshipped Christ as God from its inception. It was mentioned earlier that Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus never claimed to be God and that the Bible does not teach the deity of Christ. They claim that Christians deified Christ hundreds of years after Christ's death. However, it's clear from each of these accounts that I just shared that these men believed that Jesus was God. Not only that, but the hymn that Paul quotes in his letter that was written less than 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ shows that the church believed in the deity of Christ from the beginning and that the Bible clearly teaches Christ's deity. As I conclude this episode, I want to bring us back to a question that I brought up a couple episodes ago. That is, are the claims of Christianity arrogant and narrow-minded? Is it arrogant and narrow-minded to claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Would it matter where this statement originated? The answer to this is yes, it would matter. If this statement originated from man, then it is an arrogant and narrow-minded statement. If it was just my opinion or belief that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and this belief or opinion originated from me, then yes, this is an arrogant and narrow-minded statement, one which nobody should feel compelled to listen to. However, what if this statement came from God? If this claim came from God, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then this is not an arrogant and narrow-minded statement. It's a statement of fact. This statement does come from God and not from man. He tells us this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Again, this is not an arrogant and narrow-minded statement because it's coming from God. So this brings up another question. Why do we need Jesus? We need Jesus because God tells us that we can't earn our way into heaven. 
In fact, God tells us in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, that all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. When God says that our sins are like filthy rags, he's saying that our most righteous deeds aren't just like dirty rags that you throw in the washer to clean. They are like Ebola-contaminated rags that you throw into the fire to destroy. He is telling us that there is zero possibility that our good deeds can earn our way into heaven. In fact, God tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In case you're still thinking that you're a good person with the ability to get into heaven based on your good deeds, God tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is none righteous, not even one. This is a major deal. Our sin and unrighteousness is not something to take lightly. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. If I were to conclude this episode here, it would seem like there's no possible hope for us. But there is. The scripture acts as an x-ray or MRI letting us know that we have a terminal disease and are in need of immediate surgery. The blessing is that there is a cure. The cure is Jesus Christ. The first part of Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. But the verse doesn't stop there. It goes on to tell us that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So why do we need Jesus? Because God tells us in Romans chapter 10 verse 13, that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 reminds us that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So what makes Christianity different from all other religions? No other religious leader rose from the dead. Jesus claimed to be God not only that, but Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was. In other words, when people put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are putting their faith in the one true living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator that science points to. Christianity is a relationship with the one true living God. It's not a religion. I'll end with these. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 tells us that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. And lastly, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, which tells us in this statement of fact that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's all the time that we have for today. In today's episode, I quoted from a lot of scripture to prove the deity of Christ. However, you may be skeptical and argue that you don't think the scripture is trustworthy. Come back next time as we look at the scripture to see how we got it and who wrote it. Over the next several episodes, we will also look at other things that make the Christian Bible unique from all other religious books. God bless.